jump in anytime because I don't know what I'm saying here. <laughs> Seriously. Jump in anytime, Liga. Hey, welcome back to Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, marriage, publishing, and parenting. I'm Morgan Baden, and with me is my husband and my co-host, Barry Liga. Hello. Hi. Um, I want to give a shout out to Barry today. Yay! It's Mother's Day. And there should be a Father's Day. There should. I wonder why there isn't. Mm. Uh, anyway, I had a wonderful day. It was so nice. So shout out to Bear. Um, it started off by I got to sleep in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Barry took morning duty with our um, four-month-old, which was awesome. And awesome. Yeah. And then he cooked a wonderful breakfast of blueberry pancakes and bacon, which was very good. And then... Um, and then we had some family over. His his mom was here for a few days, and she was here today. And then my mom and dad and sister came over. So we just had a really nice day. It was we kind grilled. of funny how it just sort of fell together, too. Yeah. Like it, it, we didn't plan. We didn't look out and say, oh, let, let's make sure we have our moms here on Mother's Day. It just right. sort of worked out that way. It did. And it was nice. It was really nice. And it was funny because uh, a group that I belong to on Facebook made up of moms in the area, someone posted yesterday and said, What's the hierarchy of moms and Mother's Day? Because my mom wants us to go to her house. My mother-in-law wants us to go to her house. I don't want to go anywhere, but it seems like I'm, I get short shrift here because I'm not the grandmother. And so this whole discussion ensued about what is the hierarchy of, of moms, which I thought was very funny. Right. And I don't know the answer to that. I was going to say, what's the answer? Although I will say there is a grandparents day in September. So, (laughs) um, but anyway, it was really nice today. Uh, but fun fact the woman who invented Mother's Day then, six years later, spent the rest of her life trying to cancel Mother's Day. I know. I know. How crazy <laughs> is that? It's really interesting. It's a really interesting story and um, a, a pretty uniquely American story, I feel like. <laughs> she she um, created Mother's Day as a way to honor her mom, um, who was a, a nurse and, you know, just obviously very much a caretaker and once it um, became an actual federal holiday, six years within six years, it had become so commercialized that she was livid and literally spent the rest of her life fighting people to to basically cancel the holiday, which is very ironic. She that was clearly didn't work out. On it did not part. work at all. At yeah. all. Uh, she wrote letters to local florists urging them to cancel it. It was oh, yeah, very that's funny. Work. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so good on her. We'll post a link to an, an essay about the roots of Mother's Day in the show notes. Yes. So anyway, so thanks, Barry. Oh, you're welcome. This is our my first Mother's Day as a mom of two. Yes. And uh, yeah, it was a very nice one. It was really nice. You know, I, I looked around at one point today and I realized, oh, everybody I should be with today I'm with. Yeah. And that was nice because as, as a, somebody whose parents got divorced, that wasn't always true. Oh yeah. Like I couldn't always look Mm -hmm. around the room and say everybody I should be with, I am with. Yeah. So that was nice. Yeah. It was very nice. And I have to say, it's really funny because, um, as a mom, this is going to sound so dumb and obvious, but as a mom, Mother's Day takes on a new meeting, but really like it's a, it's a cheesy holiday when you look at the commercialization of it. But when you are a mom, it becomes really important. And like in that way of God can, I just want, I just want to do something nice with my kids. I don't want them to fight today. I just want my partner to acknowledge me. I just want this, you know? So anyway, it's really cheesy, but I'm just going to end cliche, but I'm just going to embrace the the cliche-ness of it all. You do that. Okay. Thanks.
So speaking of parenting, we have a two and a half year old. And with that comes the occasional temper tantrum. Yeah. <laughs> we, we get them we get them good these days. Um, there was one a couple of weeks ago, right before her two and a half month mark. And I only remember that because uh, the way with our pediatrician, our daughter goes to a two and a half year checkup, which we just had. So it was right before that. And you were away doing something. I don't know if you were out running an errand, but you were not around. And I had both kids. And... Our daughter, I turned around for a second, and when I turned back around, she had thrown Cheerios all over the living room floor. And that's your fault for giving her Cheerios. Maybe it is. Lesson learned. She's never done that before. Right. She's been eating Cheerios for literally years. So I asked her to pick them up, and long story short, after 10 minutes of me gently and politely and firmly asking her to pick them up, uh, she absolutely refused, and so then I decided it was time to actually do something about it. So uh, I've never done this before, but I told her that she needed a timeout because she had started to melt down, and I wouldn't let her do anything else. She wanted to watch TV. She wanted to play with the iPad. She wanted to do this and that, but I wasn't letting her do any of that until she picked up the Cheerios. And um, so, yeah, so she started to slowly melt down, and I thought, we just need a break, okay? I was like... She just clearly needs to, to step aside for a minute and take a few breaths. Um, so I told her that it was timeout time and we were going to sit on the couch. Now, having never done timeout before, I don't really know how it works. I didn't have timeout as a kid right. that I can re- recall. So I just thought we're just going to sit down <laughs> together <laughs> and I'll hold you because that's what she wanted. I've got the baby in one arm and her in the other. And... And I wanted, basically, I wanted to give her some space to, like, let her emotions settle down and and figure it out. But I also wanted her to know that I was with her and that I loved her and that I support her. So, like I said, my version of timeout was us sitting on the couch together for 10 minutes. Right. When you got home, (laughs) (laughs) I said, oh, she was so, she was having such a bad temper tantrum. She refused to do this, blah, blah, blah. So I gave her a timeout. We sat on the couch for, I don't even think I said we, I think, I think I said I gave her a timeout for 10 minutes and you were like, oh my God, (laughs) 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will say, first of all, when I walked through the door, both kids were screaming Yes. and you looked at me and you looked at me and said, oh, thank God you're home. (laughs) And I will, I will say here and now that as I approached the front door of the house, I could hear both kids screaming. And there was a moment where I thought, I have the keys to the car. (laughs) I can escape. I can Uh just get back in and and hit the highway and and wander the country like Kane from Kung Fu. Um, But, uh, yeah, you 10 minutes. And I'm like, are you nuts? And and you said that. I was like, well, I was with her the whole time. And you were like, well, then it's not a timeout. It's not a timeout. First of all, it wasn't a timeout. Second of all, 10 minutes is way too long at her age. So we had her her two-and-a-half-year checkup a a few days later. And he mentioned, the doctor mentioned that timeouts were an appropriate, age-appropriate discipline method. Uh, as needed, and so I explained the story, and he started laughing too. And he, he said the like, exact same thing. If you're, like, if you're with her, it's not a timeout, and ten and minutes is no too long. Minutes. So he did recommend um, one minute for however for each year of yes. the child's life. Yes, and I thought, okay, that makes sense. But what's weird is I've been thinking about it ever since, and like I said, I don't recall having timeouts as an older kid. I don't know what time they stop. Like, is there an age where people stop doing timeouts and instead Mine send you to your a room? Stopped a couple years ago. <laughs> um, so. I, 
so I've been thinking about it and it just, it felt weird to me anyway, as a, as a form of discipline. A, I don't like the word discipline that much anyway. Right. And B, something about it feels so punitive, even though I guess that's the point. That's sort of the point. Yes. Um, but you know, we read a lot of Janet Lansbury and, um, I'm more, I, I am much more attracted to the idea of respecting the whole child and, um, I, I remember having some timeouts when I was a kid. Okay. We didn't call them timeouts. Okay. I don't think there was. I, don't think I was going to say, I feel like that was maybe a 90s. Yeah, I don't think we don't used know. it. I don't think we had a term for it. I think it was just, you're going to sit in a chair facing the corner for five minutes See, or 10 minutes or however long so it was to me. because you did something bad. And, and, but then I do, I, I remember more frequently being sent to my room. Okay. Um, and, you know, I, I don't remember if it was ever as cliche as until you know what you did was wrong or yeah. something, something like that. But I do remember being sent to my room, which never felt like much of a punishment because I didn't mind being in my room. I was going to say most I, kids have fun things in their I room. I had books in my room. Yeah. Uh, you know, that didn't bother me. Uh, you know, these days we'd have to cut off the Wi-Fi. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I... I I, I have some memories of that. I, they, they don't loom large for me yeah. at all. Uh, until you brought up the topic, I never really even thought about it. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I think I, I, I think you were uncomfortable with it because it's the first time we've really done something like that. Yeah. You know? And, 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 and you were clearly, given that you made it 10 minutes and you were with her the whole time, you were trying to feel your way around it. Yeah. You know? And you didn't have any sort of guidance or any information to go on to base your decision to do this. Yeah. It was just a spur of the moment. It was, Like, I was out yeah. of options, I felt Yeah, like. you were out of yeah. options. You had to do something. And you were like, oh, I, I've heard tell of these timeouts right, that yeah. apparently work. And so you sort of made it up as you were going along. Yeah, yeah. And maybe... If you had had the conversation with the doctor first, mm-hmm. if it had just been oh, coincidentally, you would have, have felt a lot better about yeah. it. You, I'm, I'm not even saying you would have approached it differently. I'm saying you would have felt better about it. I don't know that I would have. Really? I would have. I, I think I, just like I said, I would have approached it differently because yeah. I would have been like, okay, go sit right over there. And for two minutes, yeah. you're going to sit there, you know, whatever. Well, I think what makes me uncomfortable, uncomfortable about it is the idea that timeouts are really predicated on the assumption that a child understands why they have to go sit down. Right. I don't think she understands that yet. And this is evidenced by the fact that a few weeks ago, she was going through this long phase of absolutely refusing to walk anywhere. We had to carry her everywhere to the car, from the car, up the stairs, down the stairs, everywhere. And we decided to bribe her one day, that good old fashioned parenting trick of, Hey, if you walk down the stairs, because Barry, you were standing right up the, at the landing carrying her, right. and I was down on the floor, and we said, if you walk down the stairs, you'll get a lollipop. Well, she did not understand that concept at all. Right. Instead, she just lost it because she wanted the lollipop right then and there and still refused to walk down. Right. And then, and oh, we kept saying, yes, all you have to do is, is walk, walk down, down the, the stairs, stairs to get the lollipop. Uh-huh. And she would say, right, I want a lollipop. <laughs> so that we had yeah, a lot of and effect. Yeah. Cause and effect. Not, I not guess that's ha- the thing is like yet. at what age does cause and effect actually matter to them? Because right. I don't think she understood what was happening. So even though I was clearly explaining to her. Darling, you threw Cheerios everywhere. If you just start to pick them up, and I will help you, by the way. You don't have to do it all by yourself. If you just start to pick them up, you will be fine. You will be able to watch TV again. You will be able to play again, whatever. And she just couldn't do it. Well, you know, she doesn't understand 
if this, then that. Correct. Okay. She doesn't understand that because, you know, doesn't have that part of her brain developed yet. But she does understand you spilled that, pick it up. Absolutely. She absolutely understands that. And I think that if you, if she refuses and you immediately do a timeout or something like that, I think she begins to develop that cause and effect. She begins Mm -hmm. to understand, oh, wait, mommy said do this. I didn't. And now I'm sitting here. Right. And I'm not happy. Right. I think there's a connection here <laughs> and it might take a few times that that's the yeah, thing. You know, course, I mean, yeah. cause you're teaching her. I mean, it really is a teaching tool. If you think about yeah. it, you're teaching her, there are consequences for your behavior. Yes. And, and so if you do these things, it's teaching her if this, then that, right. If you do a, a good thing, good things happen. If you do a bad thing, you're not going to be happy for a few minutes. Yeah. Well, I hate to say it, but I think some, some new science disagrees with this concept altogether. New science always disagrees. It does. There's an uh, an article in the Atlantic called "Times Up for Time Out," which obviously I read with great interest. It's very long and fascinating, and talks uh, much more broadly than just time out. I'm guessing we're going to put a link in the show notes. I, I think we should. Okay. <laughs> but it's about um, a, a group of neurology researchers wants to redefine what discipline is, not just for kids, but also for adults. Okay. And um, so they went through, they talk about spanking, which obviously has been over, um, in what, the past couple of decades, uh, lots of new research has shown that A, spanking doesn't work, and B, it has a lot of negative consequences, right. of course, much think, later in life. I think I was sort of the last generation that was spanked regularly like where where it was acceptable that socially. is incorrect is it uh-huh because it's actually two things it's a geographical divide and it's a oh. political divide okay sure. so the south spanks much more even now than huh. the north does and say what you will uh republicans yeah. spank much more than any other political party so that's... even more than the green party <laughs> so that's pretty fascinating because there's also been a lot of yeah research but is it about... still acceptable i mean i think in, in certain com- really? in communities it sure is you can still confirmation bias i mean yeah yeah. absolutely um but they talked about timeout as well they also talk about cry it out sleep training which um Uh so i i also read that with great interest but there's a quote here that i wanted to read which is um when it when it comes to timeout the researchers are much more interested in the concept of time in versus timeout which is to say that Instead of waiting for a child to do something negative that you then must punish, in other moments, you should be making sure that they're present enough to realize what's going on. So um, when they do something great, it's much more about, hey, look what you just did. That's a wonderful thing. You could have done X, Y, Z, but you chose to do A, which was really great. So they're calling that time in. Uh, And they say... By teaching in casual moments, our task as disciplinarians becomes easier in more intense moments. So um, I really liked that. And they gave an instance of using your own life story as an example, too. So uh, the example they gave was if you're at the zoo and suddenly an orangutan throws a banana and it hits you. You're shocked, okay? So in that moment, you're like, whoa. And then you guys all laugh and move about your day and... Uh, and whatnot, and they suggest that later that day to sort of reprocess with your child what happened hmm. and reframe it so that they understand that it was okay for you to be scared because they were probably scared too or angry or upset, whatever the emotion is. Um, and that really gives the child an, a lesson in how to 
and how to process intense moments, which I really liked. Hmm. I find all of this very interesting because all of these methods of, of discipline or methods of educating your child that keep that get shot down are the methods that were used like on us, for example. And okay. We're, we're okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and which I hate to go back to that because then people start to say we never wore you know bicycle helmets and we're okay. Right. Obviously, that's. I mean, my very mom still different. says things about car seats. Car seats. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Thanks, mom. But I feel. I, I mean, I feel like you know there may be, and I'm sure somebody will find it someday, the maximally efficient method of disciplining and educating your child. I'm not sure that in pursuit of that, we should throw out every other possible method okay. that may work, but just may not be maximally efficient. Okay. Do you know what I mean? No, absolutely. Um, and I, I, I feel like as a parent... So I, you're saying, you know, there are lots of probably solid and good options here. Right. So let's not throw them all out in this in the search for a perfect one. Right, yeah. right. I mean, let, let, let us always be searching for the perfect one. But in the meantime, let's while we're waiting for the perfect one, let's not get rid of some perfectly good ones. I have to say, I think it's amazing that you're saying this because, dear listeners, <laughs> we've been going through some things in the house here where... Um, particularly with with Barry's office and now with the basement as we try and figure out what to do down there, where Barry's office, we've lived here almost a year. And up until a month ago, the office where we are sitting right now recording this podcast was a mess. And part of that is because, well, all of that is because Barry's going to do things in here and organize it and get shelves and blah, blah, blah. But felt you felt a little bit stuck. Like you couldn't do anything until something else was done. Right. And then you couldn't do that other thing until something else before that was done. And right. so things kept piling up because, uh, you know, a certain other room wasn't perfect. And so you felt like you couldn't start on this room yet. And, you know, so it's very funny to me that you're saying this. I know. I know. Realize, you know, that's me talking about home decoration, which is something important, unlike raising your child. <laughs> um, no, I just I feel like. Like, as a parent, I want to be like Batman. I want to have a lot of tools in my utility belt. Okay. And I want to use the right tool at the right time. I don't want to just walk around with just a batarang, you know? Okay. Um, and so, yeah, I just I want to have a lot of tools. And, and time in sounds interesting, but I also want to have time out in my holster as well. Yeah. Um, you know, because real life isn't a, a lab at a neurology center you know where where they're studying this stuff yeah and things come up that sometimes sometimes a kid just needs a time out yeah i think and i think i'm clarifying this as we sit here um in my own head because there are two instances i'm thinking of one is when a child is just having a pure emotional meltdown right and the second is when they keep doing something they know they're not supposed oh, yeah, to do. Yeah, and obviously a, for the latter, I think a timeout is right. probably the most effective right. thing there. No, when a kid's having like just an emotional meltdown, I mean, yeah. all you can do is it, it's like being in a hurricane. You lash yourself to something solid and hold yeah. on for dear life. Yeah, um, yeah, and you can't punish a child for having an emotional meltdown. No, of course not. Yeah, you know? I mean that's that's especially and, and, and at I, this age when yeah. their emotions they they're can't so name the them. Surface. They can't. Yeah. yeah, they can't control. They can't them say and, I feel sad because right. I mean there have been times where she. She's been crying, and I'll say, "Are you sad?" And she says, "Yes." I'm like, "Why?" And she goes, "Yes." Right, and I yeah. say, "Why?" There are and also she... times when we say, "Do you feel okay?" And she goes, "No." And we say, "What hurts?" And she says, "Me." Right, right. <laughs> she doesn't know what she's talking right. about. Right, <laughs> and, and, and there are times she's, we're, you know, she'll hold up her hand and say, "You know, my, you know, there's something wrong with my hand," and we're yeah. like, "There's nothing wrong with your hand." Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. No, but I think that did just clarify it for me because um, 
what happened with my experience with her was a little bit of both that she was doing something she knew she wasn't supposed to do and it turned into an emotional right. meltdown right. that she needed help to get through yeah okay well this has been a parenting heavy section of the podcast so yes. i'm gonna move Let's on move out on. of here um you sent me this really fascinating link we have to talk about it. I think our listeners are going to be really interested in this. This is very cool. Writers, get out your notebooks. Yeah. Uh, this is from Jessica Abel, who is a cartoonist and author and educator, it looks like. How did you find this link? Um, it was uh, mentioned in a podcast that I was listening to. So we're These, stealing this. Yes, it was mentioned in the Script Notes podcast, which is John August's podcast. He was interviewing Damon Lindelhoff, who uh, did Lost and The Leftovers. And they started talking about this. And I knew Jessica's name from back when I lived in the comic book world. Uh, and I went ahead and uh, immediately looked up this this essay that she wrote. So it's called Imagining Your Future Projects is Holding You Back. Yep. It's really great. Please go read it. It's obviously in the show notes. Um, but basically, it's about idea debt. She's borrowed the term idea debt from Kazu Kibuishi, whom I know from my work at Scholastic because he a couple of years ago redesigned all of the covers of Harry Potter and yep. we re-released those and they're beautiful. Uh, but he's written, um, amulet the series as well as a bunch of other things. So, um, this is, it's fascinating. So the idea of idea debt is that you are sinking your time and energy. So much of it into creating the idea of a project you're going to work on rather than actually working on the project itself. Right. Is that right? Yep. So he says here, uh, I used to go snowboarding a lot of the times in the winter, and I used to like hitting all the jumps. And when I would go down the mountain, I would notice a bunch of young snowboarders who were waiting at the top of the jumps. They, mo they may look like they're waiting their turn, but in fact, they're waiting there because they're actually kind of afraid to hit that jump. And what they don't realize is that over time, they're getting colder, they're physically getting colder. The idea debt of having to make that jump and land it and be impressive is getting greater. So that by the time they actually do it, they're probably not going to f fulfill that dream. So he talks about this with his books because he says, um, I think when he's talking about Amulet, um, you know, had he known that when he first wrote book one, that the series was going to continue and he would end up writing hundreds of pages, if not thousands, I'm not sure how many there are now, um, he might not have ever written that first one because it would have been way too intimidating knowing what was coming in the future if he looked down the road well, and also planning it out right planning it out uh i always think about that with television series writers actually you just mentioned damon lindelof and we're huge fans of the leftovers those of you listening we highly recommend it it's an astounding show um based on the book by tom parada also a wonderful book anyway i was thinking this as we were watching that the other night like how we're in what season four of the leftovers three. season three and when I think back to season one, I, I like started to close off because I was like, how did the writers know this is where they were going to get? Like, were they planning this from the beginning? Right. The answer is no. Right. Because. They didn't know they were going to have three seasons. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's funny because you hear of stories like J.K. Rowling thinking about Harry Potter. She planned out these seven books from the beginning. She knew the beginning and the middle and the end. But I'm willing to bet that she didn't know all the intricacies. Of course not. Because you can't. Yeah. I mean, th this is, I have a good friend. We will mention no names. I have a good friend who has a series that is, is coming out who has been paralyzed often by thinking about, you know, book seven or book eight or book 55 yeah. while working on book two. Yeah. 
And you can't do that. Yeah. You can't let yourself be so obsessed with what's going to come that you stop working and find yourself unable to work on what is right in front of you, which is what this whole I, this whole blog post is about, this thing that Jessica's written. You know, you, you can't get so caught up in it. You've, you've got to focus on the work in front of you. Yeah, so you have to actually make the thing instead of thinking about the things that will come after the first thing. Yeah. Yeah. So she says here, if you tell 15 friends about your screenplay idea but devote zero time in your week to facing the blank screen... If you buy a domain name, spend weeks or months researching and reading up on how to build a website, but you don't actually install WordPress. If you've got a drawer full of half-finished stories and novels and a to-do list item every week that reads, work on writing. If you have binders of lore and no book, you're living with idea debt. Yeah, yeah. This is really affecting me. (laughs) I really, like, this was a really, this was one of those moments when you read something and you're like, Oh, it clicks and I get it now and I can take this lesson and improve things with it. That's why I said it to you. I know. Thank you. Thank you, Jessica Abel. I, you know, this is something that I think a lot of writers suffer from, especially when they're doing research. Mm, yeah. You know, it's very easy to get lost in your research and forget that you're actually writing a book. Yep. And I, you know, I, I, you may or may not remember this, but several months ago when I was working on this, uh, this fantasy novel of mine. Um, I remember saying to you at one point, oh, I have to sit down and I have to do some world building. I have to sort of design, yeah. design this world. Uh-huh. And I spent about half a day, like I was actually drawing maps. Yeah, uh, I you remember. Know, doing all that stuff. And it was really cool and it was fun. And I got to tell you, it was very cool. And about, and I thought I would spend a couple days doing all this stuff. And I spent about half a day doing it. And then I, a little voice in the back of my head said, dude, write the goddamn wow. book. Like, worry about this stuff later yeah you know like if you get stuck somewhere and you need a map then create then figure then figure out the map but don't worry about it for now just write the book wow and that's really important because it's very easy to get caught up in that stuff because it feels important and it feels necessary Mm -hmm. but what is necessary is the story yeah you know yeah this is it's kind of similar to uh and we talked about this all many 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 episodes ago um the idea of needing the perfect environment to start writing yeah you know i have a a friend who used to say no she needs to it needs to be a certain time of day and she needs a certain cup of tea and she needs to have done xyz before she can sit down and write and it it feels similar to that like you know but but the thing but the thing is the the problem with the idea that is it it you know, the right cup of tea, the right time of day, the right colored pencils, uh-huh. those those are things that, that deep down you know you're being precious yes. about and they don't really impact it at uh-huh. all. But, idea dead is trickier. But idea dead is trickier because it's, well, no, yes, I spent four days drawing a map of my uh-huh. fantasy land. That's really important. I had mm. to have that map. You actually don't. Yeah. Unless somehow cartography plays a huge role <laughs> in your novel. Right. You really didn't need to spend all that time drawing that map. Yeah. Um, so I think that's sort of seductive in a way. It sort of tricks you. It makes you think you're working. You think you're working, but you're, you're not. not. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's like I used to have a friend in college who would <laughs> sit there with her notebook open while the rest of us would be in the in the room watching TV, watching movies, hanging out, drinking. And at the end of the night, she would close her notebook and be like, damn, I just studied for four hours for this test tomorrow. And we would all be like... No, you didn't, girl. Right. Like you were watching TV with the rest of us. You right. weren't studying. But she thought her she thought she was studying because her notebook was open and she looked at it occasionally. So yes, writing all of these uh drawing maps is not is not studying. It's not writing. 
So cool. Read it, guys. It was really good. Okay. We have big news, you guys. Old news by the time this podcast comes out. Yeah. But you found out a couple of weeks ago, and you've had to keep it secret since then. Actually, it was, what, a couple of months ago? No, I think I think it was maybe a month ago. Okay. That um, in honor of the 50th anniversary of The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton, by the way, a book I've never read. I know. Isn't that crazy? Wow. I know. Really? Yeah, I've never wow. read it. I guess I should do that. Yeah, you should yeah. do that. Well, I was waiting for the 50th anniversary. That makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, in honor of that, Booklist has released the 50 best YA books of all time. All time. And Boy Toy by a certain Mr. Barry Liga is in it. Yeah. So that's amazing. It 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 really blew me away when I was told. Uh-huh. Um well, what's really funny, I have to say, is when you came out and you were like, Morgan, guess what? I just got an email. One of my books is in Booklist's 50 Best YA. And I immediately thought, I am killers? That's awesome. <laughs> really? Only because I think I was just thinking of more recent stuff, yeah. you know? And yeah. you were like, no, Boy Toy. And I was like, oh, my. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, when Boy Toy came out 10 years ago, <laughs> um, it didn't exactly set the world on fire sales-wise. And so it... it sort of in a way always felt like a forgotten book to me and so it's nice that 10 years later it, it gets this recognition mm-hmm. um you know to to be called one of the 50 best YA novels ever it, it's astounding <laughs> I, yeah it, it really blew me away yeah um if you follow booklist on twitter uh particularly booklist YA which is the handle that's leading this um they've been revealing one per day and they're also doing recaps every 10 books. So um, so it's nice. You can, you can see them uh, rolled out that way. But I do want to give... <laughs> I'm amazed at this. And I love, love, love this. But Sweet Valley High Double Trouble is included in this list. Hey, which there you go. It's amazing. Um, partly because I'm sure it's effect on the industry, which was huge. Sure. So um, that's cool. But I was, you know, I was just taking a look at some of the other titles. And it's amazing because there are some I've never heard of. Yeah. All 50 are not out yet. Correct. Yeah, yeah, they have not all been revealed. Um, and I believe there's only one book that's out of print because uh, they, they mention it in their tweets. But um, it's really cool. I'm First sure. First of all, what, a, what an undertaking to try and choose yeah, the and 50 best YA especially, of all time. Especially, you know, I, I feel bad in a way because they're going to get slammed no of, matter, well, no matter what they've chosen. Yeah. You do something like this, uh-huh. you know, you're, you're going to get hit pretty hard. It includes other books like Fallen Angels by Walter Dean Myers, um, uh, the Wheatsy Bat series by Francesca Leah Block, Looking for Alaska by John Green. Um, there's lots of oh, a very diverse that, range of that's titles. That's interesting here. that Looking for Alaska is on there. I wonder if Fault in Our Stars will also be on there. Mm. That the, that's the thing I always wonder about with these kind of lists. Yeah, is who has more than one. That's mm-hmm. what always interests me. Who has more than one? Does anybody have more than one? Wait and I'm see. sure Judy Bloom will be represented on here. I'm sure. And anyway, I'm so sort of curious what number one is. We'll find out in a few weeks, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's super cool. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. It was again extremely, extremely unexpected, mm-hmm. uh, and and just really, really cool. Yeah. 
All right. So I think we should wrap it up here. Do you want to talk in, about what you're reading? Any Anything cool right now? Uh, right now, uh, again, I'm on this crazy deadline for June 1st, so I don't have a lot of time to read. The only thing I'm reading right now is I'm once again mentoring a writer, um, and uh, so I'm reading her manuscript Got it. but that's it yeah that's it right now what about nice. you what are you reading um i am in the middle of a book that's not out yet it is genuine fraud by e lockhart which i mentioned which before. you mentioned i think last i handed podcast. you my copy you did indeed um and i'm not done yet so i don't want to say anything yet okay but i'm enjoying the read cool yeah all right so that's it for us take a look at writing in for all of these excellent show notes we've we've signed you a lot of homework and i think you should read it um and also follow us on twitter at wirl podcast we will see you next time thanks so much everyone bye